Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at River Glen, and thank you for being here this morning. When I first learned that we were doing this series called Love Handles, I got really excited because just over a year ago, I injured my knee, and that caused me to stay off my bike for almost a year. And now biking is my primary form of exercise, and so in the healing process, I wasn't exercising. And so this spring, when I got back on the bike, I noticed a couple things right away. I noticed that I was slower than I used to be, and I also noticed that my jerseys were tighter than they used to be. I was assured at home that they did not shrink in the laundry. So I was really a little bit disappointed to find out that's not what Love Handles is about. That's up to me. But we're in week three of our series, Love Handles, and we're talking about relationships. And we're looking at five principles that if we apply them to our lives, we will have better relationships. And these are principles that can be used in all of our relationships. As part of this series, we're going to offer a date night on Friday, June 24th. We're going to have free child care here from 6 to 9. All you have to do is go online, sign up for child care, and then out at the Resource Center, we have an envelope that says River Glen Date Dare Night. So grab it, work on your relationship and your date the inside our instructions to have a fun date. But these, these principles, whether, whether you're a parent, whether you're a single parent, whether you're married, whether you're not married, whether you're a high school student, whether you're a middle school student, wherever you are, these relationship principles can be used. And the reason why we're taking time looking at relationships is because we will spend more time managing our relationships than anything else that we do. And if you want to have a better life, then the key is to apply these relationship principles to your life. If you're just joining us today, here's what happened in the first two weeks. In week one, our friend Mark White from the Ridge came, and he taught this principle. He said, when there's fault, fix your fault first. And our tendency is to try and fix the other person. But Jesus steps in, and Jesus says, no, you take care of yourself. I want you to do something first. And remember, Mark had that big two-by-four. And he taught from Matthew, and he said, remove that plank from your eye. And once you remove that plank from your eye, then you can see the speck in someone else's eye. So fix your fault first. And then last week, we had Ben up on video. Hey, keep praying for Ben. As many of you know, Ben's got some back issues going on. He's got something in the vertebrae. Uh, But this week on Wednesday, he went to the doctor, and uh, they gave him an epidural, and then they took a big, long needle, and they stuck it into his spine, and uh, they injected cortisone. And the guy Ben was on Wednesday is not the guy who he was on Thursday. He was a completely different guy. He's feeling a lot better. But just keep praying for him because that is a long road to go down for him. But in uh, week two, Ben taught us this, great relationships practice mutual submission. And, And this principle is really important to grasp because it takes a look at our whole approach to relationships. When we talk about mutual submission, it starts this idea that says, I'm here for you. And then it fosters the question, what can I do to help you? And so we talked about this idea of mutual submission, but this word submission, it comes with a lot of baggage with it, and and this word's important because it's attached to something bigger than our own personal relationship. It's attached to God's relationship with us, and it focuses on how God sees us, and God saw what a mess we made with our lives, and he said, I'm going to do something about that, and and, and what I'm going to do, he said, I'm going to help you, and he did. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it now makes complete sense when he says, I want you to do for others 
the same thing I did, <clears throat> excuse me, the same thing I did for you. And so when we submit, we're saying, I am here for you. And then ben, ben gave us homework assignment last week. That homework was to go to one or two people and just say, hey, what can I do to help you? And as we answer those questions, we begin to change our mindset, and it helps us to submit. But today we're going to talk about what do we do when we have conflict with another person? And we've all experienced conflict with someone else. And so maybe you can relate to these two guys in the video. Take a look at the screens. Working on it. Smiley face. On my way. volunteer me like that? Okay, okay, that should do it. I'm in the clear. You're such a slacker! You know what, Eric? Why don't you just admit you're scared? What? I'm not scared, I just don't want to do it. I'm taking point. Don't worry about a thing, Dr. Sweaty. What? I have a thyroid problem, Tommy. Okay, I'm taking point. You can get my coffee. What? Caramel macchiato, venti, skim, extra shot. Did you just text me your Starbucks order? Okay. The investors would need your coffee, Eric, so you don't put them to sleep. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know Okay. Oh, come on. Yep. Oh, emoji wars. Okay, is that what we're doing? Frowny face, frowny face, crazy face, sweaty face. Bomb, bomb, syringe. How about another syringe? Crying face, crying face, crying face, heart. Sweaty face. Poop, 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 poop. Poop, 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 Sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, wow. So the, the truth be told, we all have someone like that in our lives. So I, in fact, I want you to fill in this blank. You plus who equals conflict. Who is that for you? And now for some of you, it might be an ex. It might be a current. For some of you, it might be an in-law. It might be a sibling. It might be someone at work. It could be a neighbor. Who is it that you just have a hard time getting along with and you don't even want to be around them? Now, if you're here this morning and you're saying you don't have someone like that in your life, give it time, you will. There's two things about conflict that are true. And here's, here's the first one. Conflict is going to happen. If you're looking for or if you want a conflict-free life, that just isn't going to happen. And here's why. You take two different people. They have different experiences. They have different upbringings. They have different worldviews, and they're just different in general. And then you put them in a place like a home or a family or a work environment. You put them into a school or a neighborhood, and eventually there's going to be a conflict of personalities. So the first thing about conflict is it's going to happen. And the second thing, the second truth of conflict, is conflict can be a good thing. Because there's actually something called good or healthy conflict. But the problem with most of us is we've experienced nothing 
the bad conflict in our lives. We grew up in a home where maybe mom and dad fought all the time, and we heard all those words. Or maybe they fought all the time, and it was just this icy silence. Or at work, there's this tension. Maybe you've had a falling out with a friend. Most of us here, though, we know nothing but bad conflict. But conflict can actually deepen a relationship, but only if it's handled in the right way. And so how do you guys handle conflict? There are three main ways that people handle conflict. Here's the first one. The first one is we just live with it. This is the most popular way to deal with conflict. This is the one where we have conflict with someone else, and we just kind of pretend it isn't there. We see them at the grocery store, and we quick scoot down another aisle and hope they didn't see us. Or when we see them at work, and they're walking by our office or our cubicle or or, or our workstation, we act super busy so we don't have to make eye contact. Or or maybe, maybe it's at home. And when they come home, you go to the other side of the house, and you're just pretending that you're working on something else. And we're pretending that the conflict isn't there, but it's still there. And this is the easiest way to deal with conflict, but the problem is we just stuff that conflict down. It's like trying to put more and more into a garbage can, and eventually that conflict is going to overflow. Eventually that conflict is going to start to smell. And when we do that, the longer we avoid the conflict, the deeper the gap in our relationship grows. Here's the second one. The second one is we just leave conflict. When conflict hits, it's just this temporary feeling. We take off, we disengage for a while, and then when it's over, we come back. Conflict happens again, and so we emotionally disengage another time, and we keep repeating this over and over. And now for some of us, this isn't a temporary disengagement. It's a permanent disengagement. And many couples get divorced prematurely because their method of handling conflict was to leave it. Now, here's the problem with the leave it method of handling conflict. You leave it, it might get you out of the relationship, but you are going to drag all of that into the new relationship. So it goes with you, and you never leave it all together. Here's the third one. This is one, this is called level it. And this is where conflict is just this big brawl. You get hit, you hit back harder. Somebody says something to you, and you snap even faster. Your motto, it's like that old twisted sister song from the 80s, we're not going to take it. And that's just your approach to the conflict. And if you're in your 20s, you have no idea what song I just referenced. But conflict is like the seek and destroy method. I'm sorry, leveling it is the seek and destroy method of handling conflict. The problem is it only escalates the conflict and it causes long-term damage to the relationship. And that's going to come back up over and over again. So this morning, I want to look at a different starting point for, for conflict because many of us, we look at conflict and like, how can I avoid it? How can I not have it? How can I live with it? Or how can I get away with it? But I want to give us a different starting point because the question we really need to ask about conflict is this. What is the goal in conflict? If we understand what the goal in conflict really is, it's going to influence our approach to it. The good news is the Bible talks a lot about conflict. And if you're saying, hey, I'm not a Bible reader or I don't necessarily believe everything that's in the Bible, that's great. We're glad you're here. But you can still get something from the Bible about what it says about relationships because the Bible says great things about relationships. 
There's this man named Paul, and Paul wrote two-thirds of what we know as the New Testament. And Paul is a man who knew about, a lot about conflict because everywhere he went, people turned on him, they opposed him, they tried to kill him. And we can think about all the conflict we have in our lives, but we probably don't have that going on. And so Paul understands this whole idea of conflict. And so he gives us this goal of conflict. And when he's writing, he says, here's what the goal is not. The goal of conflict is to not win an argument. The goal of conflict is to not get your opinion heard. And the goal is not to get your feelings expressed. It's not any of those things. He says the goal of conflict is something so much more valuable than that, than that. And in Romans chapter 12, he gives us the goal, and here's what he says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so Paul, Paul starts out saying, if it is possible. And he says that because most times it is possible, but there are times when peace isn't going to be possible because there are people in this world that will not forgive there are people in this world that will not accept an apology. But that's rare. And so Paul says, most of the time, most of the time, it's possible. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Not the other person. Not, hey, I'm going to wait for them to come around. I'll wait for them to initiate the conversation. No, Paul says, now as far as it depends on you, you go. And now some of you are saying, well, hey, you know what? I did that. I, I sent an email or I, I picked up the phone and I left a message. They didn't get back to me. Or, or I walked by their house and they didn't come out. Paul says, no, no, no. Listen, listen. As far as it is up to you, you go. And when you think you've gone far enough, Paul says, you go. And you keep going. And you keep going. And the reason why you do that and the reason why we go as far as we can is because it's worth it. Even though the relationship, it might never get fully back to where it was before. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The goal is not to make the other person happy. The goal is not to make you happy. And the goal is not even to try to restore the relationship to the point where it was before. The goal is to live at peace with everyone. Because when there's unresolved conflict in our lives, there can't be no peace. So Paul says, here's the goal. Whoever you're at conflict with, no matter how big or how small it is, live at peace. And then this actually allows us to have peace in the relationship, even if there isn't peace about the relationship. So Paul says the goal is to live at peace with whoever we have conflict with. So here's the question. How do we do that? Because we already talked about the methods that we use to handle conflict, and those don't establish peace. They actually end up tearing the relationship to pieces. Well, Jesus comes along, and Jesus understands relationships, and he understands conflict, and so he deals with two types of conflict. One of them is when we've been hurt, and the other one is when we've hurt someone else. And, and now as we talk about these things this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus' teachings are optional for you. They will certainly improve and enhance your relationships. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not an option for you. This is mandatory in dealing with your conflicts. So in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, and now he's not referring to your siblings, he's talking about anyone that we deal with. If your brother or sister sins against you 
anyone in your life, maybe they hurt you a little, maybe they hurt you a lot. If someone hurts you in any way, here's what he says. You should go and share it with someone else as a prayer request. Get a whole bunch of your church friends together. Get a prayer group. And and then Jesus says, I want you to talk about them behind their back. But call it. A prayer request. And, and so you get all your church friends together, and you say, hey, this is Frank. You guys know Frank. Frank attends here, right? I work with Frank. He's my boss. You don't know who Frank is? Here's his picture. Well, anyways, Frank's been just a total jerk at work lately. And, and you know what? His marriage is going really bad. And, and I heard he's been drinking a lot lately. There's some nights he's not even coming home. But bless his heart. When you think of Frank this week, would you pray for him? No, don't do that. That's awkward, and that's not what Jesus said we should do. Jesus also doesn't say this. If your brother or sister sins, vaguely post about it on social media. (laughs) Send out a tweet. Put it up on your Facebook page. I can't stand it when some people won't listen to me. Hashtag ball and chain. (laughs) That's not what Jesus said either. That isn't love, and that's not fighting for peace. Here's what Jesus really says. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So if they do something to hurt you in any way, we go. When someone's wronged you, you go and you have the conversation. And we don't like to do that because we have to actually initiate the conversation. And those are conversations that we may not want to have. But Jesus says, if you're going to achieve peace, even when they've wronged you, you go, and you initiate the peace-building process. Now, there's another time where Jesus is talking about the other side of conflict, and he's talking to a large group of people. This is in, in Matthew chapter 5. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about relationships, and here's what he says on the other side of this. He says, therefore, if you're at the altar... Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and I want to give context to this because this is important. Because we come to church every week, and so we're like, okay, we're at church. But in Jesus' day, he's talking about something that was a really big deal back there. There was one temple, there was one altar, and it was in Jerusalem. And once a year, people from everywhere would go, and they would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would bring their offering or, or, or their sacrifice to atone for their sins. And this day was huge because this is the day that they would get forgiveness for the previous 364 days. So this one day of the year was huge because this was the day that they were gonna be made right with God. So, So imagine this. You're at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. And so now you've made this 10-day trip to Jerusalem, and you're there at their altar, and you're reminded that somebody has something against you. And now this is different than the first form of conflict because that was their fault. And now this is your fault. And listen to what Jesus says we should do, and notice how familiar it sounds. Here's what Jesus says. I want you to leave your gift in front of the altar. And now in context, remember the context, this was the one day. This was the biggest day of the year. The crowd back then, they would have gasped. They would have been in absolute shock. They would have said, no way. 
It would have been kind of like this. A few years ago, Kelly and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And so what we decided to do is we decided to take a vacation. And so before it ever happened, we started saving the money. We started talking about where should we go. And we kind of landed on let's go to the ocean. And so we started looking at different places we could go that were on the ocean. We researched communities. We knew what was going on in communities. So we started making this plan and this itinerary. And not only did we want to go to the ocean, but we wanted a hotel where we opened the windows and we saw nothing but the ocean. So we booked the flights, we got the car, we, we made the reservations, you know, and then, you know, we had people coming by to pick up our mail. We had them driving by to make sure the boys didn't go too crazy while we were gone. Then the day of, we're driving to the airport, we're heading down the highway to Mitchell Field. We get there, we check in our bags, we go through security, and now I'm about to step on the plane. And, and I say, you know what? I can't go. And Kelly's like, well, why? Did you forget something? And I'm like, no, there's a coworker, Matteo. Matteo is frustrated with me, and I can't go. I got to go make it right. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting. He's making this point. Jesus is saying, I know how big and I know how important this day is, but if there is someone who has something against you, you leave it and you go make peace with that person. Before you make things right with God, Jesus says you go and you make peace with that person, whomever it is. And this shows us what a big deal conflict is for God because God says when there's conflict in your relational world, you go and you deal with it right away. And then he builds on this. He says you leave your gift at the altar. First go. And we go because peace is much more important than a religious act. So quiz, right? There's going to be a quiz. What do we do when someone's wronged us? We go, okay? Second question, same answer. What do we do when we've wronged somebody else? We go, right? We initiate the peacemaking process whether we've been wronged or whether they've wronged us. And Jesus tells us to take the first step. And he says, first, go and be reconciled to them. The goal is peace. And you need to do whatever you can. You need to go as far as you can go to achieve it. Because to achieve peace, there has to be a desire for peace. And it's not like we just go to somebody and we say, hey, you know what? I, I don't think you're hearing me right. I think you need to see my side of the story. It's not like we go and say, hey, I just want to get things right. I want to get this off my chest. We don't go to win an argument. The goal isn't any of those things. The goal is peace. And Jesus says, that's why you go. I'm here for peace. And Jesus says, whether you messed up or whether they messed up, you go. And then he ends with this. He says, then come and offer your gift. And Jesus says, if you're at the altar and it is the one day of the year, Jesus says, if you have a relational problem, it doesn't matter that this is the most important day of the year. You go because it's more important. Jesus says, you can be at the altar and leave because we're good. We're good. Jesus says, I, I came and I'm going to make this sacrifice for you and you go whether you did the hurting or whether you hurt. Jesus says others first and then God second. And if we're going to do this, if we're going to follow Jesus' teaching, here's what we have to do. Reconciliation requires turning conflict into conversations. And some of you right now, you're thinking, I'm not really good at conflict. Nobody is. 
And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I love conflict, then you need counseling. (laughs) You are not supposed to love conflict. But as Jesus said, we need to go and we need to initiate the peacemaking process. So here's our love handle principle for the day. When we've wronged someone, you go first and you repent. Now that word repent, it's kind of like a church word. It's kind of like the word submit, and we don't use that word very often. We're not going to go into work tomorrow. We're not going to go up to a coworker and say, hey, you need to repent for doing a bad job. Relationally, though, this is such a powerful word because if you can get a hold of this word, it can be a game changer when it comes to dealing with conflict in our relationships. Here's what repentance is not. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, because it's way more than that. Repentance isn't telling somebody, oh, hey, I'm sorry you feel that way. Repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry if I offended you, right? Anyone say those things to you? Because repentance isn't that. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is you go, you go, and you take full responsibility for your wrong. And we live in this culture where we are just conditioned to blame others. Think about this. Right now we are in the medical, medical, medical of the political season. You don't see political parties saying, hey, this, this mess, this is entirely our fault. This is all on us. No, they're blaming one another. They're blaming each other, and they're going to continue to blame each other till November, and then they're going to continue to blame. Or what about when the Packers lose, right? You turn on talk radio, and what is the question they're asking? Who's to blame? It's Capers. Capers needs to get fired, right? We just want to assign blame. And even when the Packers win, well, they didn't win by enough. Who's to blame for that? And so it's all about blame. Relationally speaking, though, And we talked about this one in week one. When something's wrong with a relationship, our tendency is to blame the other person. We want to look at what they did wrong, but repentance is different than that. Repentance is saying, I am taking full responsibility for my my part, and if there is conflict, there is an our part in conflict, whether it's a big part or a small part. There is always an our part. And so in conflict, when we go and we go for this repentance, we go to that person and we say specifically, I am sorry for, and then we just fill in a blank and we say what we are specifically sorry for. So if you mess up, you own up. Repentance takes full responsibility. The next thing that repentance does is it makes no excuses for your behavior. Repentance doesn't say, well, I, I, I drank too much last night, and so this is why. Or repentance doesn't say, I overslept. Repentance doesn't say, well, my parents, my parents didn't, you know, I was raised in all this conflict, and they never taught me how to have conflict. I don't have a relationship. And so, no, 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 no. No excuses. I did this, period. And then this last piece. And this is what separates repentance from everything else. You lay out a plan for your change. You go to the person and you say, hey, listen, I am sorry I did this. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a few things into play because I don't want to do this again. And and, and so I'm going to be more aware from now on. Or I'm not going to do those things anymore. Or, hey, if you see this behavior in me, you have permission to come to me and talk to me about it because I don't want this to happen again. And that's why repentance is so powerful. It's not just I'm sorry but rather it's owning up and then laying out a plan to make sure that it doesn't happen in the future. 
That's repentance. And now just a couple quick things before we go and we have those conversations and we all go repent this week. The first thing is you go immediately. And so for some of you, before you even turn on the air conditioning in the car on your way home today, you should be on the phone, you should be making the call, and you should be talking to that person. You should go. And our tendency is to push it off and avoid it. But the longer we do that, just the harder it gets. And the next thing is we go directly. Oftentimes in, in a conflict, or what we do is we gather a couple few people around us. We tell them our side of the story and we make sure that they think we're all right and we build up our case. But that's not what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to the person. Just between you and just between them, you tell them what you did. And then here's the final thing. Go humbly. And we tend to brush this off because we've all been in situations with others and as we talk to them, we hear their side of the story and we realize that there's more to the story. There's more going on. And this is so true when we engage in conflict because there is another side, not just our side. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've entered into conversations with people and I'm thinking, I am going to win this argument. I have all my facts straight. They are going to be like, oh, of course you're right. And then I sit and I listen to their side of the story and as they talk, all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, I, I didn't know that. I never expected that. Or I didn't realize I was doing that. Or I didn't realize I was wrong. And so when you go in humbly, you're prepared for more than just your side of the story. You go immediately, directly, and humbly. So here's the homework. Who do you need to go to this week and, and repent? Not waiting for them to come to you. Who is that person? Conflict resolution always costs something. It's going to cost us our time. It's going to cost us our pride because we're going to have to admit we were wrong. And it could cause us awkwardness and uncomfortableness because we're going to put ourselves out there and the other person might not want anything to do this. But there's a cost to do this. There's a cost to dealing with conflict. But there's a greater cost to conflict avoidance. And that cost is peace. Not just between you and the other person, but it's peace with yourself because you can't be at peace with yourself when there's conflict in your life. And ultimately, it's going to affect the peace between you and God. So here's the homework. Who's that person? Who do you need to go to this week? Who do you need to go to and repent? All right, I'm going to pray. Hey, God, thank you, Lord for the teachings in the Bible, the truths that we can find in our relationships. God, all of us have conflict in our lives, Lord. And so I pray that you give us the courage and the wisdom to go and initiate and to engage in these conversations this week. God, I pray when we reach out to those other people, I pray that their hearts would be open, that there would be mutual satisfaction in the discussions and that we would become to this term of not who's right, not who's wrong, but just peace in this relationship. These aren't going to be easy conversations. Some of them are going to be hard. And, and just give us the strength we need. Guide us as we go through this. Let Jesus' word, let his word and his example be our guide. Father, thank you so much. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.